1: I AI could save your church hours of social media work every week. Could it also kill the sermon in the process? This is Device and Virtue.
2: Hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life to you from chicago i'm chris
1: and i'm adam hey chris today we are talking about another ai system this one is called Pulpit
2: AI. Oh, stop preaching at me.
1: <laughs> at Pulpit AI. Yes. You saw this on a viral tweet. Yeah, this tweet went viral in June 2023. And I think it went viral because there were a lot of people who were either afraid or mad for maybe reasons that they shouldn't have been. But I'll tell you what, when people Why? get what? mad... Because people thought that it was going to write your sermon for you and maybe even deliver it.
2: Yeah, I feel like robot sermons were here.
1: Yeah, and there (laughs) have been pastors and rabbis and priests who have done this. Just as an experiment. okay. But this is not what Pulpit AI is doing. But Pulpit AI is the brainchild of a guy named Michael Whittle, okay. who we're interviewing on this episode. He is the founder and CEO of Pulpit AI, but also a podcast network called Vast Media. And he's been an entrepreneur for over a decade. He's built companies in media, in advertising, consumer products across the country, And he's also a pastor in Los Angeles. And so when I heard about Pulpit AI, I knew it was the kind of thing we needed to talk about and would have lots of opinions about. I'm sure you're going to have lots of opinions (laughs) about this interview.
2: Okay. Preach.
1: Michael, welcome to Device and Virtue. It's great to have you. Adam, thank you for having me, man. It's good to be here. Good to chat. Yeah. My pleasure. We're here to talk about something that has gone viral on social media, Pulpit AI, and you're kind of at the forefront, the face of this. So tell me in your own words,
3: what is pulpit AI? Yeah. So pulpit AI is a tool that actually gets the revelation for your sermon for you, writes it for you, and preaches it for you. Is uh is the thing I'm kidding. Um no, it's um it's honestly just a it's a simple tool that pastors and podcasters right now upload the audio from their sermon or podcast episode. Uh huh. And repurpose that into whatever content they want. So okay. that could be anything from devotional discussion questions for small groups, a blog, a email to the church, whatever. In some instances, social media posts, things like that. So that's the product now. In the next sixty to ninety days, we'll add video to that as well. So you'll be okay. Able to upload cool. Video.
1: That's so, great. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We're just kind of built really for local churches to, to yeah. help streamline the process of turning their sermon into content.
1: Yeah. So you're really taking the sermon as this originating content and then multiplying it and distributing it through various digital channels.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah. And we're currently not distributing it, you know, so you copy sure. and paste it and pull it off a platform however you want. But yeah, we say like AI generated human perfected. perfected. We have some pre built prompts for you and then a little not-quite-chatbot-like feature on the inside of the platform as well that allows you to prompt it with your own.
1: So if someone's experienced something like ChatGPT, is it similar to that in some ways in terms of the interface?
3: Uh, No, it's a little bit different. It's not really a chatbot, so it's like a single prompt. You know, Okay. Um, So you're not having a two-way conversation with an AI. You're simply just prompting a model that then returns back. And frankly, right now, if you try and do two prompts, it breaks the thing. So right now it's it's a single prompt input. Yeah. Okay, great.
1: So it's still something you prompt and it generates something for you, but it's not like you're having an ongoing discussion.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's its own sort of standalone ecosystem and neural network that is currently not in any kind of chatbot format.
1: Okay. So Michael, tell me more about you. How did you land in this space thinking about faith and the church and bringing in this cutting-edge technology. Like, how did
3: you land here? Yeah. Man, I wish I could say it was some kind of grand plan. It honestly wasn't. We stumbled into it, which is so funny. Yeah, long story short, last probably 12 years, I've been building companies in the advertising and marketing space, both on the media side and the creative side. Uh-huh. Man. So I've just always been really into startups, technology. A lot of what I was doing was trying to figure out that like early-stage ad tech type technology. And I'm also a pastor here at a local church. So my best friend oh, Jake okay. planted a church in 2015, planted a church with 25 of our best friends in the Silver Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles, huh. um, and have just been on the ground building that as well. So my wife and I have served as campus pastors, teaching pastors. Awesome. I led our crew team that helped set up and tear down every week. I've done a little bit yeah. of all of it. And during the pandemic, my friend Jake and I, who's also the pastor of our church, were feeling a bit underwhelmed with a lot of the faith-based content we saw out there and thought we could just try our hand at creating something of our own. So we started this little media company called Vast, which is, we called it like, we well, want to be the barstool sports of Christianity. Right, So our thesis was like, a lot of it is either over inspiring or maybe takes itself a bit too seriously. And so we wanted to do something that was a little bit more fun. So we started building a podcast network. Naturally. (laughs) Exactly. AKA the cheapest thing to start with. Right. (laughs) And yes, we partnered with some friends and started building that. And to keep overhead really low, we were producing eight to 12 podcast episodes a week. And so I just started scouring the internet for a tool that would allow me to like upload our audio and turn okay. that into just like simple things like show notes and summaries. Yeah. Oh, man. I feel that pain. Yeah. I couldn't find one that was any good at all, frankly. Yeah. And then I actually, through Twitter, I found a tool that had just come to market and I signed up for a free trial and I uploaded our podcast episode to it. And it was insane. Like what it spit really? back out to me was incredible. Wow! And so I looked at the founder, I looked at the founder and I emailed them that day and I said, I don't know how you've done this, but I want to learn not only how you did this, but like, how can we partner in some meaningful way? And so the initial idea was we would just build something like this for Christian podcasters. Um, Not to make the answer too long, but also if I can go philosophically into why kind of made this. So in the journey of building that, right. And we wanted to help faith-based creators monetize some of their stuff, through marketing and advertising, sponsorships, that kind of thing. Frankly, we got under the hood of the Christian influencer space and didn't love what we saw. And honestly, as we were going, can we scale this into a meaningful business? There were just too many Mm -hmm. things that we didn't want to necessarily put our name behind in terms of what it would take to build an audience that size and all that. So we were Mm -hmm. just trying to find theologically faithful content creators. And all the people that we met that were doing that were local church pastors. So we started to go, okay, we think there needs to be more faith-based content, not less. You know, I'm a local church pastor and there's not a week that goes by where a young guy in our church is like, hey, I've been listening to this podcast or this preacher or what do you think about this? Or I read this blog. And so it just hit one day and we were like, man, local church pastors are the most faithful faith-based content creators. And that was like at the same time we discovered this technology. And so, yeah, we just started building Pulpit AI. And yeah, that was the story. We, like I said, we literally stumbled into it.
1: So you announced Pulpit AI in June 2023 and your post went viral. I think something like 160,000 people have seen it by now. And a lot of people thought, oh, you're writing sermons and you maybe got a lot of blowback for that. That's not what you're doing, right. but why aren't you doing that? Is that something that's on the product roadmap or why have you drawn mm-hmm. the line and said, we're going to manufacture content, create content based on the sermon, but we're not going to help pastors write their sermon. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Maybe this just shows my naivety, but not until I posted that. And people thought that's what it would do. Did I even ever think that would be a thing someone would build? Like legitimately, just because I never thought of it that way. So it's not a part of our product pipeline. It was definitely funny that there were people that like thought that's what it was going to be. Right. Like looking back on it now, it's so funny. Like my, We just laughed because it was just like a Saturday (laughs) morning. I'm like making breakfast for my son. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. Like (laughs) nobody has ever cared at all about what I post on Twitter. And here we are, like, you know, this thing has gone viral. I mean, look, I come from a charismatic Pentecostal background. And so my joke is always, I'm sure that there is a language model that could better exegete scripture than most of the pastors that I grew up listening to sermons by. But I digress. I digress (laughs) there. It's just never been the way we thought about the product and just never the problem we wanted to solve. Obviously, our church, my local community, that would be something we never would think about doing anyway. So I didn't even realize it would spark such a debate. I'm glad it did. But yeah, that's just never part of our roadmap. I could see a world in which studying for sermons, or I guess we can get into some of the nuances of that. But yeah, I would agree with the fear and the blowback on that. I don't think that's like the proper way to use AI as the body of Christ.
1: Yeah. Are there situations in your mind that you think a pastor shouldn't be using AI for what they're doing, whether it's maybe writing a sermon or doing research or even maybe just brainstorming new sermon topics or ideas or a series, or could they write a sermon outline that they fill
3: out? Like, where would you draw the lines or what would you say they shouldn't be using it for? That's a really good question. I'm honestly not sure where i net out on it other than I think most of it depends on the model that they're using right? So for example, you know, I don't know this for sure, but I would assume that we're not too far from logos implementing some kind of AI into their platform, right? Yeah. For things like research, or if there was a certain kind of tool that allowed a pastor to upload every sermon they've ever preached and just Mm. help them recall illustrations and all that kind of stuff. I don't know the answer to that question, except that I don't think it's a good idea to have like chat GPT help you write your sermons. I actually talked to a pastor recently, though, that said they had used chat GPT to help with things like alliteration, making things clearer and stuff like that. Not something I would do personally. So yeah, I think it's something that my hope is that over the next couple of years, there are some products that come out for people who are open to exploring that that can do it in a way that we think is like, theologically faithful. But I would say on the study, anything that would help like research and study I would lean towards probably being in that okay camp. I don't know. That's a really good question that I'm not sure I've come to the answer with. I know our products won't ever delve into that space, but I know that there are plenty of people building products that are headed in that direction, for sure. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, your product won't necessarily, but I could see rationale where the engine itself, say Logos is behind the curve and they're saying, we need an engine. We have all the data and the content, but we need an engine that would help us Could Pulpit AI be that engine? Mm -hmm. I could see that being an option. And you guys will have to decide what you want to do there.
3: Yeah, totally. And I think there needs to be what happens is a lot of like private experimentation first, right? So for example, I'm talking with some friends right now who have a repository of about 90 theological courses that they've taught, right? Right. So they've got the audio, the video, the resources, the outlines, and all the resources they've used. So we're like in the early stages of going, hey, what would some kind of like closed sourced model... Yeah. With this, what would that look like? But I think sure. all of it needs to be like experiment type stuff before yeah. anything is taken to market. And I don't know. I don't know the answer. How much
1: experimentation did you guys do as Pulpit AI prior to where you're at now? Yeah, that's a good
3: question. So we've been doing a lot of experimentation over the last couple of months. One thing that is important to know about the model we're using is it does nothing but extract the information that you've uploaded. Okay. And so the way that we talk about it is if what you upload is theologically faithful and it's taking that information and repurposing it, it can maybe add some color here or there, but predominantly it's just word choices. And so I think because of that, we feel safe in the fact that it's not going to take you down a road that you wouldn't necessarily want to go down. But for example, <laughs> someone uploaded a sermon recently about the incarnation, right? And some of the outputs have Christmas themes to it right? Because it's still trying to wrap its head around some of these thematic elements of scriptural words and stuff like that. Yeah. And honestly, that's part of why we're releasing it the way that we are in stages. So we've about 25 Mm -hmm. people using it right now. And the main thing we're having them test for us is what is it giving you back after you upload your sermon right? So we're not necessarily testing UX and UI, we're testing some bugs. But for the most part, it is what are the outputs that this is giving you based upon what you Mm upload it. So we're kind of in that experimentation phase with other people outside of our team. So you go viral in
1: June, and you had lots of people reacting to it. What were some of the common reactions that you were having, maybe that you expected or that surprised you? What
3: was the general reception like? So there was two general receptions. Okay. There was bloggers, journalists, publishers, and academics who snarkily ducked on it. Yeah. Or had some kind of like super doomer response, right? Okay. And then there was local church people and local church pastors and local church staff members who are like losing their minds over the possibilities of what this could do for them and their small staff. <laughs> so it was the classic world of theology and academia versus world of like people on the ground building Local church that was really right. the two separate things that I've seen and you know there was some interesting responses from some publishers and things like that I don't know how much we want to get into some of that but it was interesting for sure like it was a world of Christian Twitter I didn't know existed let's just put it that okay. way but it was fun it was a lot of fun in all seriousness though most of the arguments I understand and most of like the questions and fears around it I actually really do understand I think it was interesting the amount of social media like voices who didn't take the time to read the website to see what it actually did before they like retweeted it to their hundred thousand followers with a snarky take (laughs) but honestly i had a blast like legitimately it was fun and still is fun going back and forth with folks i enjoy every minute of it it really is fun and honestly everyone's been super kind you know no one's been mean-spirited
1: so are there critical responses that you have thought, oh, yeah, I haven't thought about that. And maybe we should or super enthusiastic responses that are going down a path. You're like, oh, I didn't quite intend it to go down that path, but people are going to take it where they take yeah. it. Yeah.
3: Actually, there's a couple on each side. I would say the thing that made me think and actually that happened on a Saturday. And then I had a few like mentors theologically that I called first thing Monday morning who both have mm-hmm. their doctorates and have both taught in seminaries and called them and said, hey, is there something I'm missing? Here are some of the pushbacks that people gave. I do want to make sure that there's nothing glaringly obvious that we're not taking into account here. Uh, And so I actually understood most of the pushback and most okay. of the, the thoughts around it. And don't even necessarily disagree because a lot of it is just different along denominational lines or right. even some like minor theological differences. One thing I thought was interesting that I didn't anticipate was the idea of calling a sermon content. So someone was like, I just can't believe like on the site, it says repurposing your sermon into content. Mm-hmm. And there was this thought of you no know, a sermon is a specific thing given to a specific group of people at a specific time. And so there's something weird or gross about calling that content. Now, while I understand the semantics there, and I actually yeah. made me go, oh, okay, I get that. I can go down that train and understand why someone would be like, Oh, wait a minute. As long as that person realizes that a lot of the Christian books they read are based off of sermon transcripts. Like as long as they're willing to like juggle that, sure. I'm cool with it. Sure. So I would say on the opposite side, the enthusiasm that we're dealing with right now is, you know, someone sent me a clip the other day of this TikTok video of a guy talking about a pastor who had just grown his YouTube following from zero to whatever over the course of this. And I think there's this like virality conversation. It's funny because that's how we've grown as a business is by really <laughs> right. honest to God, unintended virality. But yeah. the more conversations I have with people where we think about this and look, this is a detriment to our product. I'll just say that like me saying this is not going to help a lot of what people want out of the product, but like the church marketing, Oh, wait a minute. You mean I can put up sermon clips more often? And there's that like church virality component that I do think if that's the way the church adopts AI, we've really missed like how this can really be done. If that makes sense, because are we internal discipleship, formational content type of a product or are we helping your church grow on social media? And so I think part of the people that are super eager to use this, some of them, not all of them, but some of them. Yeah that I'm like, wait a minute, we're not building this so that you can upload a clip of your pastor every single day and hope that one goes viral.
1: Yeah. So what is your hope if it's not virality? You know, that is a huge advantage of social media. What is the feature of social media that you're trying to leverage here for the local church?
3: Yeah, I think I legitimately care less about social media and more churches being able to get homegrown formational content to their people that wouldn't normally be able to. Like, I'm all about churches having social media, and I get that in many instances, it's like the front door to your church. And of course, they're going to check out your Instagram before they come see you in person. I don't have a problem with any of that. And I think if we can help churches do that better... Yeah. Awesome. If this becomes a part of their workflow and helps them write social captions or blog posts for SEO, so local people can find them in their community. I'm cool with that. I think ultimately, if we could help that pastor predominantly of a small to medium sized church who has a volunteer team and maybe does the social media themselves, you know, they spend the same amount of time, if not more than a big megachurch pastor does on their sermon, how far that megachurch pastor's sermon can go and reach impact wise is staff and team and resource. So our ultimate goal is that it would basically give every church a chance to reach their church in a meaningful way throughout the week. And we would just help lower the barrier to entry to do that. That's our big passion.
1: Yeah. So theoretically, you're imagining that Pulpit AI isn't just being used on social media, but it could be used to put a booklet together or printed brochure or like you mentioned, maybe a blog post that's online, but it's not necessarily socials per se. So there could be other ways that the content
3: would get reused that isn't just social virality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, we're building the product in the opposite direction of the social virality. So for us, it's all about what you just said whether that's discussion questions based on the sermon, whether that's devotionals. One thing I saw about a year ago, there's a pastor in New York City named John Tyson, and yeah. him and his teaching pastor put together this like series of books that they give to new members of their church. I think it's like, four or five books about their theological beliefs and their values. And, and I'm thinking like, okay, what if a church of 200 people could do that? And the way that they do that is by the pastor teaching it in a course, in a class, or in sermons, and being able to create an ebook that goes out to every one of their guests and says, this is what we believe, this is what it means to be a part of this community. And so to me, like, if that is the overall outcome of what this can do, I think we've been building in the right direction. You know, the social media part, I get people are going to use it that way. That's just not our primary goal
1: as you think about this coming online for churches and pastors in the next six months, and we've talked about some of the challenges and ways that they could misuse it. What do you think are the risks for a church or a pastor who decides, yeah, pulpit AI is for me? The
3: risks. That's a really good question. I think that, well, man, that's a really good question. I, I it's funny because and this isn't to dodge your questions. I really do want to come back to that I I think I think about it in such a practical way, you know, Uh where I am just going it's turning sermons into tweets right? And that's a really crass way of saying it. So I I see this as a way where people have said, this is just going to be like a church staff position gone. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not. It's a church staff position that could be more pastoral and more in-person. And the person has five jobs and gets underpaid (laughs) and they spend eight hours a week doing social media, but really they could go have four more coffees with people Mm -hmm. in their church community. So I do think the risk is for a pastor that wants to use this to get their voice out there more. And for the pastor or the church who simply does use this to try and grow a social media following or get more attention online. And I don't necessarily think that's bad. I mean, you know, God's going to weigh our motives and weigh our intentions and our hearts. But I think if it becomes like, how do we use this more to elevate the voice of, let's say the pastor or the teacher on Mm -hmm. social media, Mm -hmm. and now it's easier to do that because we make it easier to do that, then look, I think that's definitely a risk.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it goes a little bit back to what you were saying, where there's an objection that people have about treating the sermon as content and saying, oh, the sermon is more than just content. But in the social media space, that's what it becomes. It becomes this piece of content and it becomes a means by which pastors and churches can go viral, a means by which a platform can get built. And I know you even mentioned as you guys were thinking about using pulpit AI for podcasting that over. The course of time, you were exposed to the Christian influencer world and really didn't want to be a part of it, didn't feel like they need more content, but in fact, the church needs more of that. Do you think there's a risk wherein pastors become influencers, even as influencers have tried to have this Christian pastoral role? Do you think that's a risk for pastors and churches to become celebrity pastors on some level? Sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, look, I think since YouTube and since Instagram and TikTok pastors, you could tell the ones, at least I can tell the ones that are preaching for online, not for the people in front of them. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's become a meme. Like they say the same stuff. They use the same alliteration. They wear the same clothes. Like it is literally a meme, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so I think that's definitely a risk. It's just as much of a risk, though, as the pastor who already writes his sermon for tweetable clips than he does forming the people that he's teaching to. Mm -hmm. So I think the risk is that maybe people who didn't have the resources to do it before (laughs) have the resources to do it now. And I think that's happening across really every medium, video, audio, all of it. So, yeah, I definitely think that is a, a risk. But I think it's something that ministers have been doing since the radio and the printing press and all sure. of that. So I don't know sure. that AI pours gasoline on that fire. I think the fire has been raging for a long time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do agree. Like this is not something new, but it is making it easier for that to happen. Like you said, pastors who maybe couldn't do it before might be doing it more now. Do you feel like there are ways to build guardrails around any of that within Pulpit AI?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. And definitely something I think we will explore and continue exploring. Ultimately, I'm frankly more concerned with making sure that Orthodox Christianity is what's coming out of our platform. So if we want to go back to what I think the risk is, I think the risk is that it's an open platform that anyone can sign up for, which means people who are not using it for the kind of messaging we want them to use it. So those are two problems we're going to have to constantly be thinking about. Yeah. How are people using the content that this platform is helping them create? And then what is the content that this platform is helping them create? And to be frank with you, there's already been probably, I got, we chatted with the team yesterday. We have a dozen emails of people who have filled it out. And I've said, I don't want them using it. What do we do? Yeah. What, do like, what do we do? So those are some yeah. of the problems that we're going to have to figure out as well, which is why I think it's important that Christians do build in this space. And if they're building companies in this space and raise money, take money from Christians who want to see the gospel furthered and have teams around them and people around them, like at the end of the day, it's accountability. And each one of us has an accountability to build things unto the Lord. And the only way that I've found that like I'm accountable to my pastors, the people in my life. And so I think those are the guardrails that need to be in place, which is like it's on a hyper local level. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And I've heard you say that a lot of your intentions are around how can we help churches and pastors disciple their local congregation? How can we help them do their work in their local space? And even as people have misunderstood what Pulpit AI is doing, They've misunderstood it as being like, hey, we're going to write your sermon for you, but that's not what you're trying to do. I think that's sort of the scope of their imagination, right, is, oh, AI is generating sermons, but you have a different imagination and there's an opportunity for you there. In the same way, people are imagining, oh, this can be used for evangelism and expanding our reach as a church or as a pastor. And you're saying yes, but it could also be used for discipleship goals and creating a healthier church, not just a bigger church. And so I really appreciate that you're imagining, hey, this isn't just about generating sermons. This isn't just about going viral. It's actually about helping churches to disciple their people. And that sort of imagination, I think, is something that the church needs in a big way. As we wrap up here, I want to ask this. As you imagine... Pulpit AI 10 years from now? 10-year roadmap, lots of things are going to change. But what does Pulpit AI look like in 10 years, if you can see that far?
3: Mm-hmm. I I want it, and this is, I didn't come up with this. I think a, a friend of mine, Ian Harbour on Twitter, used this language, which is just like hyper-local digital media. This may sound super cheesy, but I want every mm-hmm. single local church to be able to be part of their church's digital diet. Like, I want the local church and the pastor of the local church to have a louder voice in the ears and in front of the eyes of their congregation than anything else. And some people may say, well, that's not the role of the church, you know? And I would say, I just read a study that millennials and Gen Z now put as much meaning on digital experiences and digital relationships as they do in-person experiences and in-person relationships. So as much as I think we need to disciple our people away from thinking that those two things are the same, because they're most certainly not. I do think that every church should have the opportunity. Like, I have a lot of friends that are local church pastors. Most of them have under 500 people. Their people are being discipled more via podcasts from celebrity pastor X, Y, or Z than they are their local pastor. It's not because they don't love listening to him or her or reading him or her, it's that they don't have the resources to get that to the people. That is my vision. That's the hill we want to die on. That's the product we want to build. I guess we'll see if it's a sustainable business, but that's the direction we want to go. That's the belief. That's our desire. That's great.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been great to chat with you and hear more about your heart for Pulpit AI and what you're trying to do for the local church. So thanks for joining us on Device
0: and Virtue. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, finding a faith strong enough to hold us written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more.
1: So that was Michael Whittle. Chris, what did you think?
0: Yeah,
2: Pulpit AI. Fascinating conversation. Yeah. I can see immediately, based on the brand, why anyone thought that this was (laughs) going to write sermons. It's called Pulpit AI. (laughs) (laughs) AI's in the pulpit. (laughs) Right. You know, I do consult on branding a little bit. I heard him say, "Ah, no, people tweeted about this who hadn't even read the website. I'm like, yeah, welcome to how the internet works. But the brand wasn't helping there because it does sound like the AI is preaching. The AI is writing the sermon. They could have avoided some of that, not all of it. If it was sermonassistant.ai or something, it'd be very descriptive, very boring. There's other ways (laughs) to do that, Uh. but Pulpit AI is a little bit punchier. Went straight than, for, it went straight for the controversy, you know, whether or not it was intended.
1: Yeah, right? that's probably what had it go viral, too. Controversy probably breeds most virality In these curiosity, days. curiosity,
2: right? Oh, gosh, yeah. our church is turning into AI robot preachers. That's what you picture. So I do have thoughts about this. I think you have probably more thoughts. You ask great questions. But first, I just tried it. So, oh, yeah? Um, great. So thank you to a Pulpit AI team for sending us yeah. access to the beta. I think they're not even calling it a full beta, right? It's like a test.
1: Yeah, it's not out in beta yet. He has been working with maybe 30 churches at this point, but it's been hands-on. They're not direct access, I don't think.
2: So I grabbed an old sermon that I just preached last year on Jesus at the woman in the well. Okay. Okay. And actually, I had to do some work on it because I had it in video format and it doesn't take video yet. So he right. said video is coming. I had to go grab the video and strip out the audio and stuff. And got and it. So very much they're in testing phase. So then they didn't accept the M4A. They had to do an MP3. <laughs> I had to change it, whatever. We got it in there. So I uploaded it. It said like processing, right? So it gave me about 10 minutes. Yeah. I sort of walked away and came back. It didn't do it instantly. And then it said ready. And so I could click into the panel. And it the panel across the top gave me a bunch of options, and so the very first thing I saw was, like it said, overview, and there were summaries, and it had written three paragraphs summary. My sermon was, I don't know, 25 pages or something. Oh, wow. Text. Yeah. I, write out my, I write out my sermons, and that's how it is. This had a summary option that was just like one page, less than one page, and it gave me option one and option two. So like the first one said, remember the time you were a new kid in school? And I'm like, what? But I I told a story about me in junior high going to school or something. (laughs) The struggle to fit in, the shame of being different. These are experiences we've all faced. Building on this shared connection, we venture into an exploration of the gospel of John chapter four. Mm. Where we meet the Samaritan woman of the well. I'm like, eh, that's pretty good. Like our guest for this episode, Chris Ridgway, a seasoned leader. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, it says oh. a seasoned leader in the kingdom of God, comma, joins us oh. to further deepen our comments. Are
1: you mad because it called you seasoned? Are you feeling like that's a little ageist? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you can't see my way here. So it gave me these nice summaries. It actually gave me little chapter breakdowns, minute four through minute six. It said it's Jesus and the Samaritan woman introduction, yep. chapter three, the intimacy curse and belonging from minute 24 to minute 42. And then it gave me all these other options. So I could click over and click discussion questions and I click it and it, it says generating. So it spins for a little while. So okay. I think each time this is going out and like talking to GPT-4 and getting that data back from Mm -hmm. OpenAI. Because he Mm -hmm. said, I think it is using GPT-4.
1: What I've heard is maybe about 5% of what they're using is from OpenAI.
2: Oh, okay. So on their website, they do mention GPT-4. Okay. But it also said some other... Yeah, they said they have a proprietary neural network as well. Got it. So it's generating and then it winds up generating like 10 questions like they're sort of Sunday school ish, pretty basic. How do you feel like the woman at the well shapes your life and teaches you about acceptance?
1: Kind of an application question here and there. Yeah. Although three of the answers were Jesus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) One of those like Chris Ridgway shares about the concept of being the new kid. What are some of the insights that resonated with you and why?
1: That's a decent question.
2: Yeah, so it's asking this kind of stuff, and then there's other options here. There's a social post. Okay. So it looks like a when I click that, it's almost like a Facebook post. It includes hashtags, like a bunch of hashtags actually. There's a blog post feature where it's I say that mostly the same as that summary. An email recap, which was like the blog post, but it said, "Dear church family." Okay. <laughs> and, then, and then, clearly, an email said, recap. Today we le- this week we learned about this and this. Funny. And then at the end, it gave highlights and quotes section so I could give for highlights and quotes.
1: So I could imagine the overview being something you might use if you're posting the video on your website and you need a little blurb to introduce the video and tell people about what they're going to see when they watch it, as well as a social post leading to your church's website where people can pick up the sermon if they missed it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, as you guys said, this is not writing a sermon. This is providing these little sort of copy and pastable things that you would take to MailChimp or take yeah.
1: on social media. And I know for you and me, when we've created both social posts and just summaries of our episodes, like it takes a lot of work. It's nice to have a place to start, even if it's not the place where you end up. It gets you thinking in that direction and you can then edit it and revise it as you see fit.
2: Yeah, I think so. But already, and I know this is in early stages, but already some definitely concerns about what it was putting out. Like, They had this section of highlights and quotes where it puts quote marks around quotes, you know, I assume so it could quote me for it. I was reading through these. I'm like, this is cool. I could just pull one of these quotes that it thinks is good. So this one quote said, we too belong in the tender embrace of Jesus, regardless of our differences. I thought that is nice.
1: That sounds great, Chris. I'm really glad you said that. didn't say it. You didn't say it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I never said any of these quotes on this page. Really? I was like, what? This section is not supposed to be a summary. This Mm. section was supposed to be quotes. In tender embrace of Jesus, I would say that. That's nice. But it turns out all these quotes are what we've referred to as sort of hallucinations.
1: (laughs) Hallucinations, yeah.
2: Or it's generating. That's the creative power of these GTTs, right? Like they generate stuff. But they're not quoting me. It's actually just quoting itself. So (laughs) some of these quotes came back from the summary it wrote. Right. And then it quoted that. (laughs) So it's quoting itself about my sermon. And I was like, okay, well, that's a problem, right?
1: Yeah. So this is part of the early nature of technology in general, but specifically generative AI. We're so early in this new world where there's lots of things that are still happening that we're going to have to figure out. And, and Pulpit AI is going to have to figure it out, too.
2: 100%. But this one's an important one because if I was tweeting or saying this is a <laughs> right. quote from my sermon, but it wasn't a quote from my sermon, we already have we have a bit weird up there. Yeah.
1: Somebody's going to have to authenticate it.
2: Yeah, and I couldn't use 50% of this. I could use none of this. None of these are quotes.
1: You couldn't use it as a quote. You could use it as some kind of social media post that is in the spirit of.
2: It may be true. Sure. I think this stuff is going to get better, but I noticed that even these little phrases that would save me time to maybe put to social media, I told a bunch of stories in my sermon, not just the mm-hmm. story of Jesus and the woman at the well, but a story of me growing up in junior high, which it catches a little yeah. bit, but also a couple other major stories about some people I ministered with over the years that really wove together maybe the experience of shame and grace that happened in that. These phrases all destroy the story. There's no narrative in these stories. Right? Sure. And this isn't Pulp Adesai's fault, but the way this is working, it was not, I was, because I've sort of been positive in AI stuff. I'm like, I'm really impressed by some stuff it puts out. I was like, maybe huh. it'll catch it. But nowhere in the summaries or in these quotes, was it able to articulate the story arc that I put in the sermon. And so mm-hmm. narrative, which is what you would want in either a sermon or even in the clips of social media or the yeah. summaries, you tell part of the story and let people fill in the rest. You do mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm all that was missing from this kind of thing. Mm. And so everything that I would write to help (laughs) explain this to my church. It wasn't there because it missed sort of the storyline.
1: Yeah, I know how big you are on story. We often talk even on our episode planning <laughs> how important it is to have stories and examples. And my tendency is not to think of stories. My natural tendency is thinking more in abstractions and in outline form. But I do recognize like how powerful stories are and how crucial they are. And I think it's interesting that these AI systems maybe aren't as good at catching a narrative form as they are are catching more abstractions and more outlines in their structures
2: and curious about that i don't know have you looked anything up like that if you put a novel in there can it tell the story back in a compelling way could you turn a novel into a compelling short story (laughs) using gpt or does that fail
1: sure yeah i think there are maybe if you tailor it you could have it produce better short stories or narratives in general and i have seen even google's lambda last year was able to tell a parable about an owl who's caring for the animals of the forest or something like that. (laughs) And Lambda was like, I identify with owl. And it was very interesting. (laughs) So I think there are, It is alive. yeah, there are capabilities for recognizing stories and narrative arcs.
2: You asked a really good question of where he thought this was going in 10 years. So let's assume that some of the limitations here as they're testing it, they really fix some of these limitations. It gets to more to where they want it to go. Yeah, It summarizes better. Maybe it does get some of the story. The website works better. It actually quotes quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where do you think this is going? Were you agreeing with his tenure assessment? Do you have other thoughts about where it could go?
1: As I listened, I think the things that I'm thinking about 10 years from now are not the products or outputs that this pulpit AI is generating, but rather how it's informing and influencing and shaping the churches who are using it, the pastors who are using it. That's very much what we're all about on this podcast. What are the influences of this technology on us as individuals
2: and the bigger impacts on the systems
1: yeah exactly and so i look down the road and i say what does it look like for every small to medium-sized church in america to have pulpit ai and be using it on a regular basis posting it on social media posting on their website yeah that to me is a deluge of content for christians and churchgoers Maybe they feel overwhelmed and flooded by how much content there is. And there's all these pastors who have increasing followings. And, you know, what happens as... Gen Z comes online as pastors and Christians who are just growing up in this space. And that's just natural that it's going to be part of my social media diet week in and week out. What I hear from my pastor, I don't just hear the sermon on Sunday, but I'm getting content fed to me all week long. And one of the things I appreciated about Michael's Goals for Pulpit AI is that it's couched in this context of pastors who have holy motives and righteous goals for what they're trying to do in their church and in their communities. But I do think there's a deeper risk and a deeper temptation that's hard to resist for pastors as they're imagining, hey, I could build up a huge social media Empire. You know, that's an extreme word, but that (laughs) kind of idea that I can build all this media around what I'm doing and I can take the seed of an idea called the sermon and it can grow into this huge forest of content that is going out in all directions. We've seen pastors do that in the last two decades. I can think of names, you can think of names of pastors who have built media empires. Yeah. And they've built social media staffs within their church right. with 10, 20, 30 people on staff who are just distributing content.
2: Yeah, super, proper podcasts, then YouTube channel, then shorts, then exactly. book deals. And there's lots of mega church pastors or even pastors that were smaller that yeah. got content that did this. This has been a thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen some of the risks and the problems with pastors who don't have the character qualities to handle that sort of visibility. And I think this has the potential to continue to put that temptation before pastors in brand new ways. And I am sad about that, and I think it's going to require churches and pastors to create new systems of accountabilities, new disciplines of character in order to resist the trappings of a lust for a large audience.
2: We talk a lot about how tools shape outcomes and how tools have affordances, meaning there's a natural way to use something, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And yeah, he made it the point of a lot like, ah, I don't think this would be good if people were using it to be really self-promotional. <laughs> the problem was the tool, it gives me five hashtags. <laughs> right. The tool is providing me these social things. And maybe he's like, well, we really want it to be on the devotional side. But a hammer, you start looking for nails. Right. And when you build a very wide road and put a 15 mile per hour speed limit sign on it, <laughs> no one goes 15 miles per hour because the road is real wide. I don't. And this I is, love speed. And so that sign or that design, desire to have someone go slower, the tool itself contradicts the right. way we desire for that tool to go. Yeah. And you and I have talked a lot about how, quote unquote, inventions have gotten away from inventors that they, mm. that we don't really believe at the end of the day that, you know, we've talked about this technology yeah. drive history or <laughs> history the other way around. But some of this is one of the proof points on the fact that I think technology can have a larger than life impact right. is that many inventors did not intend for it to go where it went. Right. And this is one of those cases where Michael might not want it to go someplace, but it really could. Yeah. With that self promotion thing, I agree. And the other thing is that just writing the sermons. He's, like, of course, this shouldn't be written for writing sermons. Right. But I think there's just no way this isn't used to write sermons. Yeah.
1: Oh, it already has been. <laughs> there, there, yeah. <laughs> the, there have the, been the stories technology,
2: out. Like they says, oh, we we'll use clips and summarize the sermons is the same technology that would be used to write the sermons. Mm-hmm. And. It's too close to it. It's and, too too unlikely, yeah.
1: And granted, that's not pulpit AI's fault. That's open AI's fault in some regard. They've created a generative AI system that can do both things. Right. And so they're going to be used in both ways. There aren't necessarily not just speed limit signs, but narrow roads that slow people down or speed bumps.
2: Here's where I think this is going to go in 10 years. I think that's part of it. Maybe floods of content like that. I think there's going to be a hyper theological fragmentation. I Mm. noticed Michael mentioning concerns about maybe who would use it and the theology concerns. And I get that. There'll be different camps on how (laughs) people think is appropriate to show up. And there's lots of controversial ones, but I'll just say charismatic versus non-charismatic because it's summarizing and saying the Holy Spirit's doing this and Right. the Baptist is going, I don't know about that. I think it's more likely if people are very concerned about that, like I heard from him, that it actually fragments down to small versions of this. So mm-hmm. a Lutheran version of this and a reformed evangelical version of this. Yeah. Like Logos Bible Software had this in the past where they had packaged the Catholic package of commentaries and the Lutheran package of commentaries and the J.I. Packer collection of commentaries. Yes. And so they start tribalizing. Yeah. And I think these are going to has potential to really tribalize and actually make things worse for a while when i was young i was involved in a group that wrote all its own materials so michael sort of mentioned this oh it'd be cool this is really for a smaller group like you're writing for your community which Mm -hmm. i think is a noble goal yeah but i was in a group that did all its own bible study books all its own discussion questions and we didn't use any outside resources it was a little bit suspect to go to a christian bookstore and get anything like that oh interesting and there was some upside. The stuff was really well-tuned for us. Uh-huh. The real downside was, is when I went to seminary, I was starting to read outside this. Uh, going, yeah. oh, I don't know. We've got some big holes, maybe. Yeah. We don't ever deal with this part of the Bible. Or we don't <laughs> deal with these other questions. And when I went to seminary, I realized that we had skipped to really big things that mm-hmm. if we had read more widely, mm-hmm. we could have got. Mm-hmm. If this puts us into that bubble that you and I have talked about, yeah. that's concerning. And it has real potential to do that
1: yeah and if you're exposed to too much too fast i think it can lead to lots of doubts if not feeling like your faith is threatened as a whole and you're like i don't have the tools or resources to even understand what's going on and so if i've been in this and no- go,
2: oh, this is the ai's fault and know and, and <laughs> yeah. this technology is ruining something i don't know if that's what you're gonna say but-
1: well i think people experience it but they don't realize that it's ai that has maybe pigeonholed them into these narrow christian traditions
2: yeah that makes sense But the real impact, I think, in 10 years is actually that this. (laughs) Tell me, Chris. Is that I think this actually kills the sermon.
1: Oh, really?
3: Hi, Chris and Adam. My name is Molly. As of two days ago, I have zero subscriptions, which sounds crazy, I realize. But I had a subscription recently to math worksheets online. You pay $5 a month and support some guy so he can go get his coffee. And you can give free worksheets you can print off for your kids to do at home. And no ads to bother you while you're doing it. Uh, my family does watch some streaming, but we borrow from a friend. Might not be able to do that for long. We watch Canopy through the library. We don't have to pay anything. We're very much budget people. And we do feel like paying for subscriptions monthly is not always quite worth it. So after listening to your news podcast, though, I'm like, maybe they're not so bad. The real
2: impact, I think, in years is actually that this... Tell me, Chris. Is that I think this actually kills the sermon. Oh, really? This is supposed to be a tool that helps summarize and bring out the sermon, but... I think this is yet another step in the sermon as, in a lot of evangelical contexts, a 45-minute lecture from the front mm. going through maybe the text, I think has increasingly over time become a really rough format in the world of YouTube shorts and TikTok. Mm. And there's a lot of lament about that. Oh, no attention span. Or that. <laughs> but actually, there's a lot of really amazing narrative and educational devices in this world that's not just entertaining, but everything from Khan Academy to TED Talks to excellent storytelling Mm -hmm. that has increased with the advent of all these tools, all these audio, visual, and storytelling tools that exist in the plethora of media technology and digital media. I've lived through it. I started to learn to edit video and created my own video editing team at my church in 2004. And we had to buy a $6,000 computer to do rudimentary stuff. And now (laughs) you can do it on your iPhone. So this has changed the sermon from up front has really struggled. Some churches really do a lot of storytelling on that, but some of them mm. really haven't. And I think creating these like short versions of this, and especially if you go to video where it can take video and do little clips, I think we start seeing that the format, these shorter narrative video formats are actually yeah. where the teaching of the church goes. And I wanna ask for everyone that's resisting that, I want to go, well, why is that wrong? And like <laughs> find me the place where Jesus teaches a forty five minute expository sermon and we'll talk again. But it doesn't, <laughs> not the way we have that recorded. And mm. so Jesus tells a lot of parables. And so there's some real critique here about the format theologically I would have, or ecclesiologically, okay. about how it fits into the church. And I sort of go, this helps kill off the sermon. It's like trying to save the sermon by putting it into these other formats. I think it winds up killing its source, and I'm not sure that's the worst thing. Yeah.
1: Snap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So not only does it create a temptation for pastors, but it also— reformats how they think about what the sermon is and what they're trying to do with the sermon
2: Yeah, how you teach or not do and encourage and exhort your community mm.
1: so you're saying teaching educating those are interesting words when it comes to thinking about just even what discipleship means within a church context that to use a technical word you're catechizing people within the sort of frames and beliefs that your church holds. And we've done that with Sunday school and we've done that with the sermon, but now you're suggesting that maybe we do that more with digital content to teach and admonish the church and that then we go to church on Sunday and maybe we get a homily, a short 10 minute homily and spend the rest of time with music. Is that kind of what you're imagining?
2: Well, now we're getting into the format of worship and the way teaching works. And this is a debate. (laughs) I definitely fall on the side that a lot of preaching as it's done today in certain evangelical churches, has a lot more to do with 19th century Jonathan Edwards than it has to do with a particular, quote-unquote, biblical way that isn't exemplified in the Bible. It's just done. like mm-hmm. It's taught on the Bible and mm-hmm. not out of the Bible. So yeah, I think there's no requirement for the meeting to include like this long sermon from a pastor. That's mm-hmm. that came later. But yeah, I think there's lots of reimaginings for that. Yeah. Certainly the yeah. role of the Word of scripture is there, a public reading of scripture. Paul teaches Timothy and the uh, the pastorals to not neglect the public reading of scripture. But yeah. Yeah. that's not the 45-minute sermon. So yeah, there's different ways to approach this. It, Having said that, the sermon I did upload to Pulpit AI was 45 minutes.
1: So. <laughs> All right. It's the pot calling <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, kettle no, exactly, or something. I was going to ask, do you have a thought about how The global reach of social media will impact the local focus that pastors have in how they are preaching or composing their sermons. Because the idea is that the sermon is this sort of localized, bound by space and time event, not just content, but it's an event of preaching and calling people together, exhorting them in various ways. But it's a very specific to that church. And online, that's a very different audience with a very different reach, with a very different context. How do you see that affecting the localized nature
2: of a sermon? I'm really glad you said that because that's the last thing I wanted to think about, which is the audience of the sermon. Mm-hmm. A good sermon speaks to the people, quote unquote, in the room. And I think that point, you guys made that point in the interview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But so one, the summaries and stuff that I was getting so far in the early version of Pulpit AI were very audience agnostic, did Mm -hmm. not understand the audience. But all I understood was the one sermon I uploaded. I would love to see a tool that actually can look at the last 50 sermons that we've uploaded, take those into context, and have information about the demographics and the people and the issues in my church, and then filter it through that. That's what you would need if you're trying to reproduce the pastor's mind. The individual sermon on its own isn't going to cut it. But you're asking about the global environment, and this is really critically important because there is no such thing. As the little church that's isolated in its local sure. am- amnesic Amish. Can I use other A words? They <laughs> that's isolated and like, well, these people with their really unique and specific needs. No, actually, they also go home and watch like the same TV that a lot of other people watch. Mm-hmm. And they're reading a lot of the same social media. And we have some bubbles and then we have some mass culture and all that comes into the room. Right, And so I think the effect is that the term from the mid-2000s, glocal. (laughs) That was a terrible term. It wasn't it? And I'm just bringing it up. It's still (laughs) like a really important pastoral skill of like, I know know that Tim and Allison are sitting right there and I know what they've gone through recently. And I know that they're trying to have kids and that the job situation is hard and faith is a little rough and I can preach to that. And at the Mm -hmm. same time, I know that, Barbenheimer just happened. <laughs> is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and like in that it was like became a global phenomenon of movies, and yeah. somehow I need to be able to like speak to both those contexts. Mm-hmm. And that's not so crazy. The pastors are taught in our hermeneutics classes that have two horizons, which is the horizon of the text and then the horizon of the world and the people, and to keep eye on both. And you know, Kevin and Hooser says it's the application of the word to the world. And mm-hmm. you have to start with the world actually and move back to the word and then go back to the world. And so you have to keep both horizons on your mind. And that's good preaching.
1: Chris, but how will AI impact all of that? How will AI impact the global sermon? I appreciated what you said about training in AI on the last 50 sermons and the church's local demographics and quote-unquote statistics, data like that, I could appreciate going in that direction. I do think OpenAI and these other generative AI systems are using massive amounts of data, these large language models, to inform what's happening at this local level. So the examples that you brought up where it was quoting itself instead of quoting you, like it's drawing on all of this background knowledge, this global amount of data to inform a local thing that you just said even though you didn't say it but it has that global force infringing on the local context and so a service like pulpit ai has to think intentionally about what training data is going into it that's then in turn informing the local sermons that are getting produced out of it or the local sermons that are getting mediatized i guess is the (laughs) Best way to put it. (laughs) Okay, yeah. yeah. And and I think even for users, as pastors and social media strategists in churches, will need to be aware of what training data is going into the service that they're using.
2: Absolutely, and I think these smaller models, which are now becoming the hot talk, right? Like we have these large models like ChatGPT, and then like these ones that are focused on these small use cases. Companies are talking about this now, and then so churches too. That's where the next action is going to be. How do we make this? really focused and useful for this smaller use case the question for me for things like pulpit ai is going to be that's how it's going to survive otherwise it's not going to because there'll be bigger companies that do a better job of doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and if a pastor or church can use that larger tool they're going to use that but if it does become focused and right focused for that smaller group, then i can see it
1: Well, Chris, as always, it's time for vice or virtue.
2: It's obvious. Ready?
1: I'm not, but go for it.
2: Pulpits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic! I love it. I'm talking like the huge <laughs> the plexiglass big, ones that you plexiglass. like like the one that like you can see through. <laughs> they look like crystal set. I'm talking about the little Baptist wooden mm. one that just mm. look like it's like bad. Fake wood paneling. Mm, The ones that are elevated
1: in the stone church with the ornate wooden. (laughs) With an eagle on it. Usually an eagle is a symbol of
2: authority in the old cathedrals. (laughs) Or like the mega church pastor. I don't have a pulpit, I just have a stool up here with some water. And an iPad.
1: <laughs> Man, I've seen a lot of pulpits in my day. I do know that. I'm sure
2: there was, a, there were, sure there was an increase in pulpit technology over the years that we haven't looked into. So we pulpit. haven't.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Pulpits do convey a level of authority. And they Especially always have. Especially the old ones. You stepped
2: up. You stepped over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think today in mega churches it's less the pulpit and it's more the microphone or the stage that conveys that authority or maybe the big screens that have the think, pastor on them, right? I think you're exactly right. Yeah.
2: It's the microphone or the video. Yeah. yeah. And
1: it's the pulpit. Yeah, absolutely. I will But is it a vice or a virtue? I will say, I'll say that it's bound up with the notions of power that I think are anathema to the church. So I think it's a vice. <laughs> <laughs> we
2: well, you're going to have some people... That agree and disagree with that. So <laughs> right. <that's> right. <laughs> yeah. When I first learned to preach, I'm talking like 2002 to 2005, that was like my learning years preaching on campus at our campus church. And we weren't rich enough to have a pulpit. So we had a, <laughs> uh, I just grabbed the music stand from the worship leader Naturally. and you pick that music stand up and that's what you stand in front of, yes. right? And for a while, I had this idea that I didn't want to stand. I wanted to be different. And this was cool at the time. So I said, I would like a stool. Mm. And I sat on the stool every time. You were so accessible. Yeah, so accessible. And I I even had this thing for a while. I'm like, I don't know what I am, 25. And I'm like, I want these to be not a sermon, but a dialogue. (laughs) Of course, I'm the only one talking, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know how that feels. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to create this experience. And for a while in that format that did work, the music stand kept on falling down because that little nut ratchet didn't tighten well (laughs) enough. So that was a problematic. However, of course, in Jesus' time, you didn't stand to give a sermon. Mm. You sat. Mm. If you go to see... You were following in his (laughs) footsteps. (laughs) Well, I didn't know it at the time, but later, you know, you go to Israel, you go look at ancient, second century and then first century synagogues. You have the seat of Moses that's at the front of the synagogue. Yeah, and yeah. when you go teach, when the yeah. leader goes and teaches, they go and then sit down almost like a little throne yeah. and then you listen. That's yeah. the time where the authorization happens when they're seated. Hmm. And Jesus even references this when he's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 24, when he says they sit down and lay burdens on people, but don't lift a finger to help them. Mm. So obviously, I think we should go back to thrones. So Mm. I'm going to say pulpits are advice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we actually agreed on this one. (laughs) But you said, let's throw out one sign of power for another. But that's fair. I do appreciate a good throne. I don't think I've ever sat on one. I think I could get used to it,
2: though, <laughs> for sure. We'll look forward to seeing what happens with Pulpa AI, and we'll continue talking about the way AI is affecting pastors in the church and how that affects everyone in the church as they get impacted by those things. Love to hear a talk back. We're online.
1: Find us at com, where you can leave us a message, and it may show up on a future episode. I know you're scared, but you should try it. You really should. But don't be afraid.